You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Genesis chapter 29. We do have a lot we're trying to get in tonight, so I'm going to try to get get through this. I'm not going to try to... Uh, short any of what we have, what I have prepared for tonight, but I do want to make sure we get right into it, and uh, and not gonna try to try not to waste any time uh, tonight. So Jacob, how many of you ever woke up in the morning and you had a good day the day before, and you wake up the next morning and you are ready to go? I mean, you are like, yesterday was a great day. I can't wait for today. Anybody that's ever happened? Um, how many of you just never get up in the morning like that? Anybody? Okay, uh, some of you. Um, Jacob, if you remember in the last time we were in this um, chapter 28, uh, two weeks ago, we we talked about Jacob's dream. Remember, Jacob has a dream of the ladder coming down out of heaven and uh, angels walking up and down the ladder and he hears from the Lord. And the part of that was he heard promises from the Lord that the that the. Uh, the covenant he had made with Abraham would, would continue down through Isaac and then it would continue then through Jacob that he would be that his seed would be the innumerable seed that through all the through him all the world would be blessed and he would receive the promised land. And so I think that that morning, the next morning, he probably got up with a little more pep than usual, probably got up really excited for what's going to happen today. Now, most of us think about what we want right now when we're younger. But I think that the older we get, the less, tell me if I'm wrong, those of you who are older than me, Joshua, um, the older we get, he's six months, so I've got to give it to him, uh, six months older, but the older we get, the more we begin to think about our children's futures and less about our own. Um, and so I think that that's part of what's exciting for Jacob. Um, we should consider our part in God's greater plan. And remember that it's not just about what I get or what I accomplish right now on this earth, but it is about what is God using me to do for the kingdom in the future. And uh, we might, instead of saying, what's God going to do for me, what is God doing through me to accomplish his purposes? And so as a pastor, you, when you're young, I, I never got to be a young pastor. I got to be a middle-aged pastor. But when you're young, you, you think about, man, I want to I want to be a part of a church that's just growing. I want to pastor thousands of people. And then um, you and, and it's not that I don't want God to bless. It's not that I don't want a lot of people to come to know him and be a part of this body. I do. I do want that. But what I really want to do is prepare this body, do my job here for this time for what God has for this, the future of this body. So how can God. What is God going to do through me to accomplish his purposes instead of it being about what my purposes are? Now, we come to chapter 29 and we're not going to cover the whole chapter. We're going to get through verse 30 is my plan. Uh, but we, we this is a familiar story, but I'm, I'm going to spend the first part of the sermon kind of telling the story. We're going to read it. and I'm going to kind of put some things into my words, uh, talk a little bit about it. And at the end, we'll talk about um, a couple of details of it. So first, in verses 1 through 14, we see that Jacob meets Rachel. In verse number 1, it says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. Now, I'm going to stop there real quick because Jacob's travels have taken him from Beersheba to Bethel. Um, and that was a short trip. Okay, If you look at a map, there's Beersheba down here, lower in Israel. Bethel is just a little bit above it uh, there in, in Palestine. 
but then he travels about 300 miles to where we are here in chapter 29. And that's, a, that's quite a distance to the city of Haran. So he's traveling northwest. If you look at a map, he travels mostly north. So I think that'd be like north by northwest. And he travels uh, northwest. Yet it says here that he, was, he came to the land of the people of the east. And so the question is, where... Why is it called the people of the East? Wouldn't they be the people of the East? Well, they're in the cradle of civilization. Um, Haran was at the eastern, eastern end. So that's where the people of the East uh, comes into play. So Jacob arrives uh, near his destination. It says in verse 2, And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks uh, gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? Or where are you from? Is what he's saying. And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. Now, Jacob arrives near his destination. He's, he's, he knows where he's going. His mom said, go to my people. Go there, find a wife. And so he finds a, a, a well there with flocks of sheep gathered. And I wonder to myself, how did he find his way there? How many of you didn't know how to get here with the freeway closed this morning? I just admit it. Some of you are like, I don't know how to get there. I guess I'll just go home. Um, so... Did his mother draw him a map? You know, did she take a piece of parchment or a piece of goat skin and, and somehow draw a map? You know, I don't know. It's not like you could say, turn it to McDonald's. See, some of you can't get to McDonald's without your GPS. Um, how many of you put your GPS? You go to work every day, you put, your, put in your GPS in case there's road closures or anything like that. My wife does. Um, and, and so some of you, and I, I go, why do you do that? And then Andrew and I were coming home the other day. He was driving, got on the freeway, it was stopped. And so I wished I had done what my wife does. Now, there weren't green signs over the road. There, there, weren't, there was no rest stops. Hey, next rest stop is 65 miles. So you gotta, if you want one, you better take it now. But I, I'm guessing Rebecca gave him some instructions, some landmarks um, to the best of her recollection. And, uh, and maybe something about this place looked familiar. Now, there are people... Maybe Jacob's people had a certain way that they constructed wells, and so he recognized uh, the style. You might say, you know, if you're headed south, you might be able to see some areas, especially when you get into Mexico, you might you'd see some changes in the way things are built. And so it's all purely speculation, but I wonder how he got there. But Jacob came and he saw the flocks of the sheep by the well. They're just lying there around it, and there's a big stone over the mouth of the well. The stone would have been there for a couple of purposes. First of all, it would have protected the well from contamination, accidental contamination. But it also would have protected the well from a, an enemy trying to poison or trying to harm the water supply for their animals and for the people. And so break, Jacob comes in and, and he starts with the, an icebreaker. He says, uh, where are you guys from? You know, you might ask somebody that. Um, and... Uh, we're from Haran, they said. Now, this had to be exciting because he knows he's close. He knows if the guys from Haran have their sheep there, that means he's close uh, to where he was headed and where he was wanting to get to. Now, then uh, he says, oh, you're from Haran. Do you know, uh, do you know Laban? And they said, yeah, we know Laban. Just this week, 
Um, on, on my my day at, at my other job, I was Hunter and I were working together. In fact, and so we we went into one of the Lamphere schools and we were talking to the lady and she said she had worked in Lamphere for for twenty years. And I said I said, do you happen to know the Van Warmers? And she said, yeah, I know Cheryl. I love Cheryl. You know. I don't know why she didn't mention Will, um, but she, you know, she said, she said, I, I, yeah, they're, they're great people. And, um, and so I did the exact same thing. You hear, oh, you're from that area. Do you know? Hey, by the way, do you know Chris Woodley? Missionary Chris Woodley to the Philippines? Okay, I'm just wondering. I meant to ask him that earlier. So just, I thought this was a good time to do it. Um, so, uh, so Jacob wants to know how Laban's family is doing. Is there something we need to be aware of? Are they doing okay? Are they alive? Are, are you know, is, does they have a good reputation in town? Um, now, he wouldn't have to wait long because they said, here comes Laban's daughter, Rachel, with her father's sheep. Now, verse 7. And he said, lo, it is yet, uh, it, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. And they said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. So, so Laban says, why are you just lying around here? Why are your sheep just lying around here? Water your sheep and then get out of the way. You know, they're, they're, they're going to start bringing the cattle in. There was a different time for the sheep to be watered and a different time for the cattle. And so he says, it's time. Why are, why are we waiting? Now, um, I wonder, and this is speculation, these are things that go through my head when I'm, when I'm studying this, um, had he heard about how quickly his father, his grandfather is served? Remember, the, remember Abraham sends his top servant to go find a wife. He walks into town, he walks, he gets close, he comes to a well, and he says, um, and he meets the girl, and, and it's the girl, right? It's, it's Rebecca. And so that's who he, uh, I wonder if he had heard that story from his dad and from his mom. And so he's telling these guys, hey, you know what? Hurry up and get out of the way. She's coming. I want This could be her. I don't want you guys interfering. I don't want you you guys smell. You've been out to sheep. I don't want you out of here. I want to talk with this girl. That's my speculation. But they couldn't water the sheep yet. And the reason is that there was a system in place. And he said, we wait here until everybody's here. Then it takes a few people and we roll the stone uh, off of the well. And then we put it back on when we're done for the watering the next time. And then in verse 9, it says, while he had spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, uncommon for a daughter to help with shepherding or help with feeding or watering the sheep of her father. And then in verse 10, and it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, uh, that, that's cousin, by the way, if you're trying to put that together, um, uh, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. And watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So he walks up and he's like, normally it takes two or three guys. I'm doing it on my own. I'm going to show off and flex my muscles. And I'm going to show her that I don't need all these other people. So he goes up, he rolls that stone away. He jumps into action and he feeds uh, and he waters the sheep of that Rachel had brought. Now, verse 11. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice. Now, if you're a teenager and you're thinking, see, I can meet a girl, I can kiss her, that's okay. It's a different kind of kiss. And it was a, uh, it was a kiss that was a tradition between relatives. Okay? They're, they're relatives. They're, 
their cousins. And so this was it was him showing her that, hey, we're related. Now, we know that he found her to be beautiful. But we also he was also overjoyed at the providence of God. That God had brought him all this way, orchestrated the events to where Rachel would show up there right at the right time uh, to meet him right at the edge of the city. And then verse 12, he told Rachel, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. In fact, I skipped in verse 11. I do want to go back to that, that he kissed her and then he wept. Okay, he's weeping for joy. He is not upset. He is weeping for joy that God had blessed him. Uh, and so she's probably wondering what's going on. Here's this guy coming in. He kisses me. He he starts crying. Was it that bad? You know, uh, what, what is going on here? But uh, she then runs and tells her father. And uh, and I wonder if Jacob stayed back with the sheep. But again, that's where my mind goes when I'm reading. Verse 13. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said unto him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. So Laban is also overjoyed. Anytime a family member would come in town, this was an exciting time. And here's this relative, his nephew, that's visiting. Now, it was many years before that Laban, remember, he was a part of uh, sending Rebekah away to be with Isaac. Um, he had, they had never met this guy. And here he comes and they send her away to go get married. And they probably hadn't heard much from her or from them until this point. But now the son of that marriage comes and, and uh, comes to see them. But Jacob came for a purpose. It's like, um, you know, at, at college, my girls will say, well, she's here for her MRS degree. That just simply means this girl came to college to find a man. OK. Um, and so there are those that they come for a purpose. Some are going to get an education. Some are going to get married. But Jacob, he didn't come for the family history tour. He didn't come for the education. He came to find a wife. And he had a purpose. Look at verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob. Because thou art my brother. Shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me what shall thy wages be? So it was customary for a visitor to come in. Especially family. And stay for a couple of days. In fact it would have been an insult. Had he left right away. But they typically stay for a couple, would have stayed for a couple of days. And then the visitor begins to work. For his keep. If he's going to stay there any longer than that. Well, we're told in the previous verse that he bowled with them at this point for the space of a month. Now, everyone worked in that day. Everyone, everybody had a job from the time they were old enough. They would get a job that was suitable for them. Kids didn't sit around playing video games all day. Kids didn't sit around watching TV all day. They had chores. They had jobs to do. And then they would work until they really couldn't work anymore. Their job just would change over those decades. Today, people try to find a way out of work. People want more money and they want to work less. That's constantly what we hear about, especially even in the last week. We want more money. We want to work less. Now, I'm not going to get involved in, in that, at least not publicly. But from a human standpoint, we understand that, don't we? In, in the flesh, we understand, hey, you wonder if I can pay more to work less? I'm in. But sin has caused man to seek fleshly satisfaction instead of seeking fulfillment the way God made us to, to seek it. The way God made us to enjoy it. 
So we were created to work. And we talked about, I've talked about this before, but we were created to accomplish a certain amount uh, of work. And we were, we were created to have a certain amount of satisfaction and fulfillment from that work. Now, I, I, I know that most of you know this, but it can be easy for us to forget. God created us to work. Before sin came into this world, God told Adam to keep the garden. And, and I believe that God has made men, especially, but he has made us to work, and we ought to work, and a man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. That's what the Bible teaches us. By the way, six days, we were made to work. Okay, That doesn't mean you have to work your job six days, and you can do it too much, and not be with your family, not be a good parent, not be a good father. But, you know, some of you work five days, and you come home Saturday, you're doing the lawn, and you're doing work around the house, and the honey-do list, and all those things. And so a certain amount of satisfaction comes from that. Now, after a month, Laban has been working for, uh, Jacob's been working for Laban for several weeks. And uh, at the beginning, Laban probably wondered, okay, how long is this guy going to stay here? You know, it's been a week now. Why is he staying here? Uh, what, what is he doing here? Uh, I guess he's going to work. Is anybody going to talk to him? Somebody want to go, somebody want to go talk to him and find out how long he's going to stick around? That we're, you know, what's the deal? But Jacob was a good worker. And the Bible tells us that his work became very productive. And so Laban says to Jacob, he's like, I need to start paying you. You're producing way more than your keep. And so Laban asked Jacob what he would charge him to work. Look at verse 16. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve these seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to, to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. So Jacob had seen Rachel a month before. Couldn't get her out of his head. He just fell in love with this girl. And, and I, I don't want to dramatize it, make it this love story. And it's all mushy-gushy. He uh, certainly had a, a healthy love, a love that said, I am going to be dedicated to her. She's the one that God has for me. Now, probably, my guess is over this month, uh, as he's being productive, his productivity probably went down every time she went by with the sheep to go water. He probably slowed down a little bit and watched, and, and he's looking for her. But Rachel had an older sister. And here's where the problem comes in. She had an older sister. Her name was Leah. She was tender-eyed. What does that mean? We don't exactly know. Uh, we don't know what it means that she was tender-eyed. But it was something that made her less attractive than her sister. Some say that meant she has blue eyes. She had blue eyes, and in that day, blue eyes uh, were seen as weak, is what, I'm told, what we're told by, by some theologians, some historians. Now, every culture has a different view on what beauty is. In some cultures, darker skin is seen as beautiful. So women, uh, especially even men, will lay out in the sun to get a better tan. They'll, they'll put false tans on themselves. They'll lay in a bed to get a tan. So they just want to be darker because in their mind it's going to make them more beautiful. But there are some cultures where the lighter the skin, the more beautiful. And in some cultures, uh, women try to stay out of the sun or they try to use things that will, make, uh, that will lighten their skin. Now, uh, we, we may see women. You might see a woman from 100 years ago, see a picture, and you would say, she's not beautiful. In your mind, right? That doesn't mean she wasn't, but it just means in your mind. 
Um, and there's people from that day that if they could see women from our day, they would they would be scared. <laughs> um, but um, but but beauty is very much in the eyes of the beholder, right? And so we don't know what it was, but for some reason, Jacob saw Rachel as beautiful. The Bible tells us beautiful and well-favored, while her sister was tender-eyed. Now, Isaac, we know, would have great wealth. He, was, uh, he would have the birthright, but his father is still alive. Um, certainly, he could have had wealth, but it seems that he left in a hurry because of being afraid of his brother. And he sets out, it seems to me, that he has set out with very little wealth on him. And so when Laban asked the question, what will you charge me for working, uh, for, for working for me? Jacob said, I will work for you for seven years if you will give me Rachel as my wife. That is what we call the bride price. I was uh, at dinner today and uh, we were talking about people getting engaged and stuff like that. Nobody got engaged, don't worry. Um, but we were talking about that. Um, and one of the things that came up was, I, I, I just said, it's in my sermon tonight. I said, what is that called when the when the groom's the groom or the groom's family pays the bride's family? And everybody said it's a dowry, right? I've always thought that. Then I looked it up. It's not a dowry. It's called a bride price. The bride price is paid from the groom's family for the bride. The dowry is actually the price paid uh, by to the groom by the bride's family, and it was to be used. For the bride, or if he couldn't take care of her, or if he abandoned her, there would be this money that was left. So that's the dowry. Um, and both, so what, what typically didn't happen is that a dowry and a bride price would be paid in the same relationship. If the, bride, if the bride's family was poor, they probably wouldn't pay a dowry, but there would be a bride price paid for her. But if it's the opposite, then maybe they would pay a dowry because the young man didn't have the wealth that needed to care for her. So whether there was a bride price or dowry paid or a dowry was paid was determined by the financial situations of the family. So back to the story. Jacob proposes that he works for seven years to pay that bride price. Uh, Laban's response seems less, less than enthusiastic. He says... Well, I guess you're better than the other options right now. That's my translation of it. Uh, but he, he says, it's better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. I guess you're the best option. Now, you dads that have given your daughters away, you might feel that way. Well, it's, I guess it's the best option. <laughs> uh, but you won't admit that. I know you thought it. Now, um, then in verse 20, Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to her, seemed unto him, but a few days for the love he had to her. That's a, that's a great verse, isn't it? He, he loved her so much that seven years just seemed like a few days. He, he had such hope that every day, this day that he got up to travel, probably a greater day. But every day now he gets up going, I'm working for something that I can't wait to get. I'm working for something that is, that is the bride of my dreams. But it just seemed like a few days to him. In verse 21, Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in, go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. I'm guessing that on day one of year eight, Jacob went to Laban. Or maybe when he got off work the last day, he's like, hey, it's time. And I've worked. I've fulfilled my part of the bargain. Uh, and so I want you to take, I want, I want to take my wife. And look at verse 23. He's deceived. 
And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in under her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? The day finally came where he's going to be married. Laban deceived him. The bride would have been heavily veiled. Um, and he would not have seen her face during the feast. The next morning when there was daylight, Jacob finds out that he had consummated a marriage with Leah, not with Rachel. So I can imagine him going storming into Laban's tent saying, hey, this is not what we agreed on. Look what you've done. This, is, this isn't just a small thing. This is a major problem. And he says, I worked for Rachel, not for Leah. I wonder if when he went in and he said, hey, you deceived me. This isn't what we agreed to. I wonder if it clicked in his mind of all the deceit that he had brought on his brother and his dad. I wonder if he, if he said, whoa, maybe I need to slow down a little bit here. I, I, I've been that guy. And I'm not saying that this happened to Jacob because of what he had done. But it should have brought conviction to his heart. And now he's on the receiving end of such great deceit. And I think that through all his travels and in his fear of seven years, I think through all his travels in fear, and then in seven years of work, Jacob had no doubt matured and seen the errors of his past decisions. So in verse 26, Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. He said, sorry, it's our custom. Now, that would have been nice to know before, Right. Uh, it would have been nice. I would have gone out, found a friend, said, hey, I'll come back. I want you to meet a girl. You know, um, Get her out of the way, and then I can, I can have the one that I want. Uh, and it, that's probably true. That probably was their custom. But why didn't he tell them that before? Maybe he thought, i got a plan to get 14 years of work out of this young man. So Laban said this. He said in verse number 27, fulfill her week. And we will give thee this also for the we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet another seven years. He said, All right, fulfill the honeymoon period. There's a time, a celebration, fulfill that. And I and I wonder, would Jacob have worked seven years for Leah? No. But would Jacob have worked fourteen years for Rachel? I think he would have. I, I, I think he would have. Um and so Jacob did. In verse twenty-eight, Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilha, gave to Rachel's daughter Bilha his handmaid to be her maid. And he went also in unto Rachel and loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet another seven years. So Jacob does what they've agreed to. He we don't see any argument. He just says. He could have said, no, I'll work seven days, but I'm not working seven years again. You owe this to me. Maybe it was because of the realization of the grief that he had caused and the hurt that he had caused because of his deceitfulness. But Jacob, as far as we can see, just agrees to Laban's rules. After the week of time with Leah, Jacob finally receives his bride. He didn't have to wait the seven years to get her, but he was committed to another seven years of work. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Does that mean that a man who finds a wife finds a good thing, but a man who finds two wives finds double good thing? 
Polygamy is seen throughout many places in the Old Testament. I was talking with somebody this morning and they were saying how they have seen an increase in uh, even in their circle of people that they know of polygamy. That people that may not be legally married, but there is a lot of this type of thing going on. Marrying sisters was specifically prohibited by the law in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 18. But this is before the law. But I want to say this too. Polygamy was never according to God's plan. Polygamy was never something that God endorsed. Although it was commonplace for centuries. He had built to the point that by the time of Solomon, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Um, This is a mockery of the institution of marriage. From the beginning, God created them male and female. He instituted marriage as a lifelong monogamous covenant between one man and one woman. And that is something that we must stand for solidly and lovingly. That we must say, this is not according to God's plan. I, I read a, uh, a debate online. I don't know where I saw it, but I saw this. and Somebody put a question out that said, should churches teach monogamy? Some of the comments were like, yeah, because the Bible does. Isn't it terrible that the Bible can teach something so clearly and people question whether the church should teach it? Uh, the Bible should, we, the church should teach whatever the Bible teaches. But somebody commented this. Churches can teach what they want, but they, but they shouldn't force their views on everyone else. Uh, and I would agree with that. We, there, to a certain extent, we should not force our views on everybody, everyone else. But someone questioned how the churches are doing that. They said, well, how are churches, in your opinion, doing that? And they, res- they responded with something about banning books. Um, and, and this goes back to, this is a big political debate right now. And I don't get into politics, but I get into biblical things. And in, in some, many states, there are books that are completely pornographic, completely vulgar. And some parents are going into... Uh, school board meetings, and I've seen many videos of this, and they read to the school board out of the book that their kid was given at school. And I can't even listen to it. It's so bad. I can't even listen to it. I tried, and I don't want to hear it. It's, it's gross and disgusting, and, and I, can't, I can't take it. And so they say, well, because parents are trying to get those books out of schools, they're saying they're banning books. No, they're just saying that they shouldn't be in schools for children. But nobody is stopping them from taking those books home to their own children if that's what they want to do. When you, quick point, when you're listening to political debate, understand they're only telling you, both sides, only telling you one little piece and making their side sound horrible. Okay? Most of, most of them in politics are horrible anyway. Right? Most people. Uh, and they, they lie about things. They either blatantly lie or they, they whitewash things. But this is something that is happening, and you need to protect your children from that um, if that's an issue. uh, And you need to know whether it's an issue. You need to be involved with your kids' education. Um, It's interesting. When you watch those forums, they they begin to read to the school board what their kid was giving, and they have to mute the microphone of the parent because it's that inappropriate. that They say, this is not appropriate for a public forum. Yet the kids are allowed. It's horrible. It's vulgar. It's sinful. So, what do we do? We don't force what we believe on people, but we do protect children, because that's biblical also. We protect 
the vulnerable. And so we ought to do that however we possibly can. Now, everywhere that we see God's plan for marriage, when it's cast aside, problems fall. So even in the homes of the patriarchs, right? These are, these are supposed to be men who, yes, they were of weak faith, but they were of growing faith. And we see their faith growing. Yet they had, some of them had a couple of different wives. Everywhere that happens. Let me read you that last verse. He also went into Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served him yet with another seven years. He loved one wife more than the other. What do you think is going to happen there? Conflict, tension, problems. God gave one man, one woman for a lifetime. And that is, anything beyond that ought to cause jealousy. It would be, it would be anti-human nature if Leah didn't get jealous over Rachel, and if Rachel didn't get jealous over Leah, is uh, marriage is a marriage is between one man, one woman, and we must be clear on that. So we see God, and tonight was basically telling the story. Next week, uh, actually two weeks. Next week, Brother Andrew is going to be preaching, but in two weeks, um, I'm going to come back and we're going to look at Leah a little bit more. I don't think we talk about Leah very much, and I want to give you some information on her and then on the children that they had. Um, but what, we're, what we need to remember here is that God's working in their weak faith. God is working his providence through their decisions. And we are going to see 12 tribes come out of these four women, two wives and the, the two handmaids. And we're going to see 12 tribes that come out of that, um, that God used to bring about his blessings upon the whole world. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.